Welcome to the Hills. All of you in person at West Fort Worth, South Lake, and North Richardson Hills, and all of you watching online. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season and that you managed not to get sick. I did not. Uh, my youngest son and his wife got COVID and gave it to me. And I was frustrated because I'm vaccinated and I'm boosted. And this is the second time I've had it. Now, thankfully, my symptoms, like the first time, were just incredibly mild. I never felt bad. In fact, that almost made it more frustrating because my life is limited when I don't feel limited. And so uh, we started the new year, and I feel sidelined. It's Sunday. We're launching a brand new vision, Ask for Nations and Generations. I can't go to church. And I woke up frustrated that morning, and I got in my car, and I decided to go on a prayer drive. I started praying for all of our campuses. In fact, I drove around this campus three times just praying for Taylor as he was preaching. Praying for our vision to ask for nations and generations. And the Lord impressed this thought upon me. As long as I can pray, I am never sidelined. The next five years, we're going to see some amazing goals reached in our vision. But the biggest win is going to be that we become a praying church. Ask for nations and generations. So we're going to do that every week uh, from 12 to 1 on Wednesdays on all of our platforms. We're going to create a moment of prayer, a time for prayer. If you can join us or if you can join us later for a few minutes or the whole hour, we're going to make it a rhythm every week to ask for nations and generations. And I hope you'll be a part of it because we know the future is challenging. Then again, we know the past has been too. Hasn't these last two years felt like we have been running a marathon? <clears throat> now, I ran a marathon 10 years ago. I know something about it. I know the race will deplete you. You cannot train enough for a marathon to have no point in the race where you are not going to need your energy renewed. If you're going to run a marathon, you need a strategy for keeping your strength up. I had a strategy. My wife came with me to the race and there were certain points on the course where she was going to meet me and supply me with some resources to boost my energy. Unfortunately, because of traffic and road closings, she couldn't get there when I did. At seven miles, she wasn't there. At 13 miles, she wasn't there. Now, I'm 15 to 16 miles in the race, and I'm starting to hit what they call the wall, and I am running on empty. <coughs> and I remember there was a woman on the side of the road, and she had her hand out. And in that hand, she had five red grapes. And I grabbed those grapes. And I'm here to tell you, they were the greatest grapes in the history of grapedom. Totally renewed my energy, and I finished the race. Several months ago, the Lord impressed upon me that there are many in our church who need their energy and their strength renewed. And at that time, I did not know that we were headed for another spike in the virus. We are still in a season that has been exhausting, and it appears that this race we're running has more miles and hills ahead. 
So it's a time for learning or maybe relearning how to find strength in the Lord. So when the Lord impressed that upon me, to start the year talking about how we can all be stronger, a verse in the Old Testament came to my mind from a little red story in the life of David. It's in 1 Samuel 30. Turn your Bibles there. We'll read it in a moment, but I've got to give you the backstory. So David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He defeats the giant Goliath. He becomes so popular in Israel that Saul, the king, perceives him as a threat and decides to eliminate him. So David spends a long season of his life as a fugitive on the run from King Saul, and it wears him out. So David decides, I'm going to leave the land ruled by Saul, and I'm going to go into Philistine territory. And so David decides to move among the people God had anointed him to remove. And he spends 16 months serving the king of the enemies of the people of God. So much so that David and his 600 men even volunteered to go with the king of the Philistines when he plans to make war against Israel. They get to the site for the battle. And the Philistine soldiers get nervous and say, we're not sure David won't betray us in battle. So the king sends David and his 600 men back to base camp three days away. That's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. And in Noam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, one thing I love about the Bible is its honesty. The scriptures do not pedestalize the main characters, but portray them as faithful and as flawed. And in this story, it is clear David is a weak man in more ways than one for several reasons that we can all relate to. One reason was physical exhaustion. David and his men were physically worn out after all of their traveling and marching and fighting. In fact, later in the story, he's got 600 men. And they go off to chase the Amalekites. And 200 men don't go because it says they were too exhausted. Now, how tired do you have to be that you can't go chase after people that kidnapped your family? David's men are worn out just like some of you, because you are continuing to try to live a pace you can't sustain, and it's taking a toll on you. Our bodies are temples, and if we don't take care of our bodies, we will suffer physical and emotional and spiritual weakness. Another reason for weakness is substantial loss. It says, David and his men, when they lost their families, 
mourned so much they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever been there? Have you ever cried so hard you didn't have the energy to cry anymore? And in the same way, most of us have been in a season the last two years where we have mourned more than any time in our lives. We've lost a lot of people, some to the virus, but we've lost even more. We've lost memories, opportunities to graduate, to go to a wedding, to gather with family, to be beside the bed of someone we loved about to pass away. And all of these losses have been exhausting. Another factor in feeling depleted is relational tension. The text says David was deeply distressed because in a moment of crisis, the people he usually turned to were thinking about turning on him. And in a sad and similar way, it seems the events of the past couple of years have caused many dear relationships to fracture. And each fracture created another leak in the strength tank. I think no sermon last year got more feedback than the one I did right before Thanksgiving called Give Peace a Chance, where I said in the last two years, we have let so many issues build walls between people when we should be building bridges. And living with constant relational tension is depleting. But perhaps the greatest cause of weakness of all is irrational fear. What has David been doing for the last 16 months living among the enemies of the people of God? Well, to know, we got to go back a few chapters. Chapter 27, verse 1. It says, but David thought to himself, one of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. Notice, David thought to himself, I'm going to contend. If you were dealing with deep emotional and spiritual weakness, it is most likely because of what you're thinking. David drew conclusions that were counter to a direct word he had received from the Lord that he was going to be the next king of Israel. But David allowed fear to shape his view of the future more than faith. Oh my, what I just said. That's what a lot of us have done. Over the last two years, we have let fear and worry and anxiety dictate how we anticipate the future more than faith. What did Jesus say about that? Did any of you by worrying get one inch taller? Did any of you by fretting live one year longer? Has fear and worry made anybody stronger? It's interesting, in these four chapters where David lived with the Philistines for 16 months, you don't read one time of David praying to God. You don't read one time of David worshiping God. It is a season where he became disconnected from God. But when David hit the bottom, he remembered to look up. And that's where you find that little phrase, the Lord laid on my heart. David found strength in the Lord 
his God. David had a five grapes moment. The challenge wasn't over, but once again, his strength tank was running over. And I wish the text revealed more specifically what David did to renew his strength. I would love to know, David, what did you do exactly to find strength in the Lord? But one thing I know he must have done was renew his communion with God that he had let slide. Psalm 18 has this heading. David wrote this psalm when he was running from Saul. So it was either at this time or about this time David wrote these words. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David said, I was at the bottom. I was in a crisis and I was depleted. And I cried out to God and he heard me and gave me strength. And it is encouraging to realize God made his strength available to David where he was, not where he should have been. And somebody listen to me right now needed to hear that. That God wants to give you strength where you are, not wait till you get where you ought to be to answer your prayer. You may feel depleted, but you don't have to stay defeated. Things will get better if you get stronger. And so, For the next three weeks, the month of January, we're just going to talk about what does it mean to be stronger. And things will get better. And I'm going to show you right from this story at least two things that will happen. Number one, when you're strong, you can reclaim what the enemy has stolen. You see, after getting his strength renewed, it says that David inquired of the Lord what he should do next. Something, by the way, he did not do those 16 months he lived with the Philistines. And the Lord said to David, you go and chase after your families. And weakness is repelled when a word from the Lord is received. And so it says, verse 18, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. You can reclaim what the enemy has taken when you're strong. Now, I am not suggesting that the strong person never experiences loss. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. What I am insisting is that when you are strong, the enemy can't steal any blessing that God wants you to have. And that's been happening too much lately, these last two years. We've let the enemy take some things he has no legitimate right to have. How about your intimacy with Christ? You should never lose that. What about the guidance of the Holy Spirit? That is a blessing you should always have. What about the assurance of your salvation? Has the enemy tried to take that away? What about the unconquerable and inexplicable Peace 
that Jesus wants every Christian to live with. Have you lost that? What about your hope for the future? Some of us have allowed the enemy to steal and to claim what he has no right to possess. And we need to learn or relearn how to find our strength in the Lord. Because when you're strong, you can reclaim what the enemy has stolen. And one more thing, you can live and lead with grace. So, back to the story. The 200 men that are too tired stay behind. The 400 men go with David. And they catch the Amalekites. They get all their families back and an enormous amount of plunder. And they come back to camp. And then a problem comes up. The 400 said to the 200, Now you can have your families back. But you don't get all the plunder because you didn't help us take it. Look what David did. He replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. The share of the man who stayed with his supplies is to be the same as the one who went down to the battle. All will share alike. When you're strong, you can live and you can lead with grace. Now, in these last two years, we've all witnessed and maybe we've experienced some level of relational conflict. And sadly, we live in a culture where so often reconciliation and mutual respect is viewed as weak. That to be a kind person, to, to respect people, even if you don't agree with them, is somehow viewed as Weak when in the scriptures, the strongest people are the most gracious people. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Having mercy on the weak is not a weakness. It is an evidence of Christ-likeness. But... It might be right now that you feel too weak to have anything to offer somebody else. You don't even feel strong enough to get what God wants you to have for yourself. And what you need is a five-grape moment with God. And so last month, our staff listened to a testimony from Rusty Peterman. And when I heard his testimony, I knew I wanted you to hear it. Too. So watch this and be blessed. In March of 2005, I was hit by a massive stroke and that took me to the hospital for about three to four weeks and then months of rehab and all that kind of, I mean, because it, it blew out my left side. Those two years were the hardest years of my life. It was hard physically in 2005, and then 2006 starts with six and a half months of unemployment. And you put those two together, you got all kinds of anxiety and what's the future gonna be? And, but I'm lying down one day in my bedroom at home and I'm looking up at the fan. I'm feeling like that's a parable of my life right now. It just seems to be going round and round and round and we're not going anywhere. 
And so it was building up inside. You know the feeling that you can sometimes get? It's just a tightness that starts to build in your stomach. And so I'm lying there and looking at that fan and thinking, what's going to happen? And I heard a message from God. And the thing is, I don't remember the exact words, but it's something like this. I'm with you. I will take care of you. Things are going to turn out all right. And in that moment, it was like, there was none of that tightness. Not having tightness is still a void, but filling the void was a peace, a feeling of peace. And the best way I can describe it, it it just felt like honey in my heart, just a warmth. Psalm 34 says, taste and see the Lord is good. It's like, I'm tasting him. And from that point forward, although everything was still crazy and unresolved, I never had those intense moments of that anxiety because there was that affirmation of something that had been true all along. I mean, God has always been present. Ever since I said yes to Jesus, always been present in my life, always been active in my heart. But it was like that gave an affirmation to me that I could experience and feel and know that he's with me right now. And nothing immediately resolved itself in what are we gonna do in the future? In fact, that didn't happen for weeks and months. But what he gave me the strength to do is to reframe what that season of life was all about, that it was still a season of preparing for something that's coming. The strength of the Lord can come to us in a variety of ways. But for me, the most impactful way that God has shared his strength with me and strengthened me is by his presence and action within me. Amen. And I think a fitting verse to summarize that testimony is Psalm 29:11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. I believe that, church. To the depth of my being, I believe the Lord wants us to walk in strength. The Lord is eager for us to walk in peace. And so I looked at all these verses in the Bible, every single one that has the word strength or strong, and I just want to share the next three weeks some of the things I feel like the Lord has taught me. But I want to close with these three takeaways from the story of David that I think will encourage your heart. And here's the first. It's the truth. You cannot be strong for long without God. Life is hard. It's been hard these last two years during the pandemic. Can I tell you when the pandemic is gone, life is still going to be hard. You cannot finish your race well in the power of the flesh alone. You need a kind of renewing that can only come from an eternal source. And let's be honest, in the last couple of years, some of you got disconnected from that source. And it's time now to strengthen yourself in the Lord by returning to regular worship, by recommitting to Christian community, 
by reconnecting to the story of God instead of all the narrative the culture is peddling that is filling us with so much fear. Max Licato in his most recent book tells a story about a man named J.J. Cohen living as a teenager in a Polish ghetto arrested by the Nazis and sent to a camp called Auschwitz. And he spent several years in a barracks with 80 other men who were dying. Racked with typhus and dysentery, their clothes hanging on their frail bodies, only a portion of bread and soup every day to eat. And it came a time of the year the Jewish people call Purim. If you're not familiar, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Esther. It tells the amazing story of a queen, a Jewish woman, who saved the Jewish people from extinction from an evil plot by a man named Haman. And they're reading that story in their barracks. And they get to the part of the story where Haman gets hanged. And these men began to stand up and cheer and applaud as they remembered that they serve a God who will not let evil have the last word. Church, you've got to remember your story. That's why we take bread and wine every week and we remember that Jesus Christ has died to take away all of our sins. That he came up out of the grave and has conquered death. That he sits on the throne. That he is coming back to make the world right. Let that be the story you live by and not all the narratives the world is peddling. The prophet Isaiah says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Don't you appreciate the honesty? You're going to get tired. We all get weak. We've got to have our strength renewed. How? By putting your hope in the Lord. Strong for long is a gift from God, but it's a gift that has to be sought. And so that's the second takeaway from David's story. Inner strength must be pursued and renewed. Listen to me. Nobody drifts into greater strength. The strongest Christians I have known all had this in common. They had a lifestyle of certain intentional practices that built their faith muscles. So a few years ago, one of America's most popular films had its 50th anniversary, The Sound of Music. And journalist Diane Sawyer was interviewing the star, Julie Andrews, and commenting her on her well-known work ethic. And Julie Andrews said something I've remembered. She said, amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. If you're going to be strong, there have got to be in your life a commitment to certain practices. And next week, no excused absences, I'm going to share with you from the Bible what some of those practices are that you can pursue to become stronger. And the first is just to admit you need to be. Here's a good prayer from Isaiah 33. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength 
every morning. So what if for this next week you started every morning with that prayer? Lord, would you be my strength today? And what if you believe that God will answer that prayer where you are, not where you ought to be? Because here's the third and most important takeaway from David's story. God is eager to make you stronger. We say the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. You know what else? The grapes on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. And God loves to give his grapes to his children so they can be stronger. It is always the will of God to give you the strength to be the right person and to do the next right thing. And I have a great example of that truth. So next weekend, we will celebrate the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. But you know, before the civil rights movement had a father, it had a mother. And it was this woman, Rosa Parks. December the 1st, 1955. She's going home from work. She gets on a bus. She had to go to the back where blacks were told to sit. She found a seat. The bus stopped again. A white man got on. The front of the bus was full. He went back and insisted that Rosa Parks give him her seat. She refused and got arrested. And a movement was born. And in her autobiography, she wrote this. When I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home. But I'd made up my mind. After so many years of being victim of the mistreatment my people suffered, not giving up my seat or whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up or, in my case, sit down. And she called her autobiography. Quiet strength. God will give you the strength to be the right person and do the right thing. He did for Jesus. Maybe it will encourage you to know even Jesus felt weak. It's the night before the cross and he's praying. Father, is there any other way? But I am willing to do whatever you ask me to do. And it says in the Gospel of Luke, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Even Jesus knew weak. But Jesus also knew the Father is eager to make his children stronger. So where do you need some strength right now? Last fall, we studied Nehemiah. I remember chapter 6. His enemies want to kill him. Some of his own co-leaders no longer trust him. The people are getting tired. And he prayed a prayer, a simple prayer I'm giving to you. He prayed, God, make me strong. And I want you to pray that prayer 
right now. Would you bow your head? Would you identify some part of your life right now where you could use some strength? Because God's supply never runs out. And His mercy on the weak is always available. So where could you use some strength right now? Pray this prayer. God, make me strong. You start the prayer, I'll finish. And so, God, we admit it, life is hard. And our spiritual energy runs out for lots of different reasons. We need to be renewed, God. You're hearing right now the prayers of your children. God, make us strong. Give us the strength we need to be the right person and to do the right thing. When we ask this for the name and glory of Jesus, amen.